politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Miniman standing at the ready to guard anew our life, our liberty, and our property here on this, the 29th of March. It is Wednesday, and it is time for CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for Wednesday. And you know what? It is a good day to really discuss an assortment of issues But given that this is the three-year anniversary of 30 days, 30 additional days to flatten the curve, when Trump should have absolutely known that the 15 days was wrong and there was more than ample time to change course, and this is really the decision that I feel made it irrevocable, and we are suffering to this very day, this very day. Policies don't change with facts, truth, and justice. The only time things change are when the politicians are personally affected or the people themselves feel it so harshly and personal. But if they don't, the country and the culture and the economy and our own health might be going to hell in a handbasket, but if it's not totally apparent to those people, they just don't see it. And our people don't clamor enough for actual change, actual outcomes. They satiate their souls on politics, on soap opera, on Trump's uh, latest musings, Fox News, and then the policies continue to march on. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Dr. Eric Henson, ear, nose, and throat doctor in... Palestine, Texas, Tyler near Tyler, Texas. Many of you are familiar with him. He saved hundreds of lives, never lost a single person who came to him. Um, he's a specialist, nothing to do with primary care, but he stepped up and was the only doctor in that area treating people, but then he treated people across the country. And rather than winning a medal, he lost his license today or yesterday, in Texas. The Texas Medical Board yanked his license for violating Greg Abbott's immoral mask order in 2020 and making the right decision not to mask himself or his patients. That is still going on, despite everything we know. Like, I mean, even establishment Republicans at this point, finally, they won't attack the vaccines, but most of them will say, yeah, masks are stupid. Okay, the mask mandates are wrong. Not all, but most will say that. I think Greg Abbott would say that. But to this day, not only do we not have laws in place to ban this from ever happening again, and pretty much half the uh, doctor's offices and hospitals in the country still require it. Policies don't change. But we have a guy retroactively losing his license for standing up in the state of Texas. That, my friends, is where we are today. And on that sour note, something that might make you happy, I'm happy getting clean in a shower at the end of the day, you know, loosening those those tight muscles from all the stress. Well, what soap are you going to use? Everyone's got to use soap. Everyone's got to use shampoo. Are you going to use unhealthy garbage from Dove and and all those brands that are woke and broke? 
Or are you going to use one of our own, our very own Blaze family? Uh, the Pittmans have QPGoatSoap.com. Well, QP is Quinn Pittman, a 15-year-old entrepreneur who has his own goats on their farm in Volusia County, Florida, homeschooling family. He's he's homeschooled and does his business all day. What, 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 a, what a story for a 15-year-old. So it's made straight from natural goat milk, so many natural ingredients in it. Uh, a lot of people that have said it works really good for dry skin and dandruff. Something to keep in mind. I've gotten a couple emails. Make sure you utilize this. We're just two days left with their 15% off promo code of new goats. New goats in honor of Quinn's two new goats there. Um, Make sure you utilize that as soon as you can. They have an array of products, both for shampoo, for aftershave, for just regular body wash. Lots of good uh, options there. There's a couple I like myself. Um, they have citrus, they have cocoa, all sorts of different ones. Smells delicious. Great to have in your bathroom just for almost a freshener as well as a soap. So again, go to qpgoatsoap.com. Use promo code new goats that will give you the higher percentage discount, 15% off for the next couple of days till the end of the month. So I, ju- I just want to say with Dr. Henson, um, he really needs our help. Um, you know, well, I don't know if I could say this, but someone you guys would know gave the first donation so he can get off the ground. I mean, this guy has been wiped because his medical practice is is destroyed. He they, they put on his on a website. If you go to a website, you'll see unprofessional conduct. Now, if you see unprofessional conduct from a doctor, you think, man, he's horrible. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's or he's rude or whatever. He didn't wear a mask. That's like, oh my gosh, that's the most professional doctor that understands the science. So there's a Give, Send, Go. If you go to Give, Send, Go, Stop Medical Tyranny, or you just type in there, Eric Henson, H-E-N-S-E-N, Stop Medical Tyranny. Um, you know, the first one we did was to help the supply so we could treat more people. This is for the legal side, and he really does need help. I'm working on that today, but... How is it that we need to be doing this three years later? Three years later. The policies don't change. And there's two reasons the policies don't change. As the facts become clear. And what I mean is, you know, we have all these studies every day. This thing's going to kill you. It already killed half a million people. It will kill even more. Cancers, heart, long-term, disability, not only isn't it stopped, but we have many more in the pipeline. Pfizer's bragging about on their quarter four, fourth quarter earnings, they had a conference call on a, on a PowerPoint presentation I saw where they're bragging about 2024 and 2025 revenues skyrocketing almost to pandemic level revenues. And I was like, well, what, what are they looking at? And, you know, what's going to get them all that juice? No one's getting the shots. And then I saw they're anticipating the revenue next year off of their flu vaccine, mRNA, flu. Can you imagine how many people that's going to kill? And then they're going to have a combo flu and COVID because they know people don't want to get COVID anymore, but they'll just put it together. Oh, you want your flu shot? Sure. And we're nowhere near ending this. Like I said, we can't even get people 
doctor, hero doctors that should win the Congressional Medal of Freedom. But we can't even get hero doctors not suspended in the state of Texas for not wearing a mask. But there's two reasons why the policies don't update. Number one is we have a vanity movement. There's no leadership. There's no anything. There's no continuity of strategy, of policy work. It's all day-to-day, own the libs, but the Dems. So, and, and, and once in a while, there might be a talking point that intersects with, oh, the vaccines are a problem, but there's no effort to actually do anything about it as there is on any policy issue. But then there's the other part that we broached earlier in the week, which is obviously things haven't gotten bad enough. If thing, if people don't feel that their life is over with, they just don't care. Except for the few people that have their livelihood destroyed. But as I noted, that we've been going on for quite a while, you know, most places really at least a year, year and a half, where the lockdown's over, you don't have to wear a mask. If you already had to get a shot, you had to get it. If you didn't, you didn't. But you don't have to get a new shot now. It's a small number of people going to certain colleges, medical school. um, The military did end. uh, Hospitals. But for most people, right now, if they don't see it coming. Now, they might have lost a relative due to this, but they wouldn't know. They're fine. Doesn't affect them. Doesn't bother them. But the bottom line is that people will not fight for the greater good, for morality, for what's just, for what's right, unless it is totally crushing them at this moment. And and even with the lockdowns, our government was very smart. They printed trillions of dollars, so they wound up paying people off. Now, again, some people still got destroyed, but it wasn't – Every time they're smart enough to pick winners and losers that you don't have 60% of the country getting destroyed and they'll, you know, there'll be a rebellion. You don't have that. And it's very strategic. So then it's a matter of, well, this is just not right. Yeah, but who's going to lay down their arms for what's not right? Eric Henson did that, did that over the mask issue. A couple doctors did and they got destroyed. Judges chapter 6. You know, before I read from from the Bible here, um, people often say revival or bust. We need a revival. We need a return to God. There's no political solution. And I generally agree with that statement. But part of the reason why it's true is not that it's, oh, it's return to God versus a political solution. It's part of the reason we don't have a political solution is because we don't have a return to God. In other words, Without a return to God, people don't understand what is just, don't realize it enough, don't care about it enough. So therefore, they don't bother to work on a political solution. (laughs) Right? We have a conservative movement that needs to return to God so they can understand that this is not just about politics and vanity and tweeting. And it's about doing something for the greater good. That's partly why we don't have a political solution. It's because, like I say, it's not revival or bust the liberals. So the liberals need to return to God. I mean, everyone does, but I don't have confidence they will. It's our own people, all of us, need to become more sensitized to evil. And that requires a return to God. But sometimes that only happens if you yourself feel like your neck is on the line and you have nowhere to move. 
I mean, literally this opening part of chapter six of Judges explains exactly where we are as a people and where the cycle of morality and closeness to God and tolerating evil has stood since the dawn of times. And the children of Israel did that which displeased the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because Midian, the children of Israel, made for themselves the dens which are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. They had to hide their stuff. When Israel had sown, the Midian came up, Amalek and those in the east, they came up upon it. They encamped against them. They destroyed the produce of the earth until you come to Gaza. They would leave no sustenance in Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, for they and their cattle came up in their tents and they came as numerous as locusts, the enemies that is, both they and their camels without number and they came into the land to destroy it. And Israel was very, very impoverished because of Midian and the children of Israel cried to the Lord. Now it was the children of Israel cried to the Lord concerning Midian that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel. Um, you know, I'll deliver you from bondage, yada, yada. And that's the story of Gideon and assembling his people coming down the mountain, attacking, and the rest is history. But notice, you will not... You, you will not obviously deserve God's blessing to enable a political solution, a military solution, without you crying out to him. But what did that take? People were impoverished to the point where they had nothing. And as much as there are some people face downturn, you know, a downturn, the reality is we don't have a critical mass that's really suffering. Either a lot of people still are doing very well, including a lot of us, and we're thankful for that, or a lot of people just have enough government handouts because the free money is still working. It's going to come to an end very soon. But that's why we are where we are, and that's why, you know, to me, I think the linchpin is getting rid of the Federal Reserve's ability to, to print money that's the single most impactful thing we can do. But that's the problem. We are not at a judge's six moment. And that's why people, you know, go to the Trump rallies, you know, listen to what he says, even though it's the opposite of everything he's done. Focus on politics, watch some Fox News. You ask them, you know, was COVID fascism stupid? Yeah, it was. Vaccines, yeah, it probably causes injury and maybe kills some people. But the policies don't change even in red states. And, and this is why, I mean, I'll tell you, with our book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, between our family here at The Blaze, like people bought multiple copies. It was unbelievable. Outside of our circles, it was a bust. Not a single cable news show had either of us on to discuss it. They just don't care. On to the next thing, on to the next thing. And that's where we are. So folks, part of actually caring and actually caring about something that's greater good is not supporting those who hate our values. 
Um, there's very few things, if you take you know, your, your top 10 needs of services, there's very few things that you could actually find a vendor who shares your values. Uh, mobile service is one of them. I mean, I wish we didn't have to rely on it. I wish we can go back to the days where we didn't have this stuff. By the way, it just came out recently that Ron DeSantis doesn't text. Good for him. Um, but those of us who use cellular service, Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, offers dependable nationwide coverage on all three major networks. So you can get the best possible service in your area, plus the coverage guarantee, plus they share your values. Rather than supporting to the, the homosexual agenda, they support family values, Second Amendment, and our military and first responders. They're a 100% U.S.-based customer service team, which is often the problem. I used to deal with Verizon, and you can never understand a word whenever service went down or something that you had a problem with your billing. You go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 878-PATRIOT, 878-PATRIOT, to make the change today. Get free activation today with offer code CR. Again, that's patriotmobile.com slash CR, 878-PATRIOT. We need to stand together and support companies that share our values. So I want to kind of use this theme to really just go through an assortment of issues today. Um, again, 15 days, this is the three-year anniversary after the 15 days to flatten the curve was extended again and again. And to this day, Trump does not admit his mistakes. I mean, this is the thing. To this day, he won't update his policies. But then again, we're all kind of a reflection of that. And I want to go over... Um, one of the examples, oh, and by the way, Trump still hasn't been arrested, and now he's praising the grand jury. Doesn't look like it's ever going to happen. Interesting. Yes, I understand. It could be that the overwhelming reaction changed them, but do we really have evidence he was about to be arrested? I'll tell you, even even I doubted DeSantis. I was like, man, come out and make a strong statement that, you know, show that you care more about, you know, Trump's own persecution than Trump himself. And, and, you know, about the persecution of his supporters and the runaway, you know, prosecutions. But you know what's funny? He showed discipline. He saw it, it, there was no concrete info, and it was just Trump's flatulence. Was he not right not to jump on that? Very interesting. Let me know if you think I'm wrong. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com is the email. So back to... This here, I noticed a very interesting pattern. Something remarkable, remarkable happened on, on the crime issue. Those of you who are with me before COVID, you know, because obviously the show has grown a lot since then, you'll remember one of my big obsessions was crime. And, and as always, I was the only one talking about it. So what happened was we had two decades decline in crime. It was one of the only positive social policy trends that we've actualized in our lifetime, a 70% reduction in violent crime. And it was because we were doing longer sentencing, three strikes and you're out, locking up more criminals. And, and even then, I mean, I could show you data that even at the height of incarceration, we were not you know, there were plenty of people who got off scot-free, under-incarcerated, you know. And again, obviously you have BS crimes, you have over-criminalization of certain things, and certainly you have the political persecutions, but on net, we always had an under-incarceration 
great. Everyone knew that. Everyone knew that. So around 2010 arose a movement called Right on Crime. It was sponsored by the Koch brother libertarians where they were trying to get Republicans to reverse their Reagan roots on crime and join with the radical left for the deincarceration movement. And it grew so much that by the, by the midpoint 2015, 2016, 2017 of last decade, it became a full-fledged movement that consumed every conservative think tank. Um, and you have people like Mike Lee that became as emphatically anti-incarceration as, um, as the radical left. And it was so bipartisan that they bought off Trump and they got Trump with Kushner and Kim Kardashian to support the largest jailbreak of the most hardened federal criminals, allowing them to serve like the last third of their sentence on good time credits under supervised parole, among other things. And they got every red state to support it. And, you know, I started writing about this, you know, nine years ago. I was like, man, guys, you don't, you don't understand. We're already seeing signs that we're reversing the trend, which was very disturbing because until then, every successive year, the rate went down and down and down. And then you start reversing that. Well, I was like, whoa, okay, I understand that relatively we're still at a generational low, but this is not headed in a good direction. And crime is going up commensurate with how much we're loosening sentencing on on, on violent criminals, just like it went down commensurate with how much we toughened the penalties. And it was such a bedrock issue. It's always a winner with the public. It's a winning policy, winning politics. And everyone just went nuts on us. Every conservative writer, there were, I mean, I'm not going to mention names now, but there were people who were bought off. They would go around paying them to write columns in, um, in favor of that stupid jailbreak bill that Trump championed. And I was literally the last man standing. And indeed, Conservative Review is the only nationwide uh, legislative scorecard we scored against that bill. And I'm very proud of it. That, that as an organization, we were able to stand up to it. And we were like, and, and they were like, what are you talking about? Crime is low. And we're like, well, it's relatively low, but it's actually going up now because you're doing this. You continue doing this, crime's gonna skyrocket. Well, now everyone's a big hero, and oh my gosh, crime is out of control. Crime is out of control. And you'll even hear the Democrats say that. But the policies don't get updated. They might say fund the police, but nobody is talking about legitimate three strikes and you're out, legitimate. Violent criminals who violate their parole, throwing the book at them, and all the stuff we've been talking about, anti-gang legislation. Now is not the time to rehash all that, but nobody is talking about policy outcomes. So we continue to have this, and indeed, a lot of states are continuing to have the Coke agenda, by the way, championed by Brooke Rollins, the head of Trump's think tank, pushing de-incarceration. But a shocking development has taken place over the last couple of months. A bunch of Democrat congressmen are pushing for, clamoring for, tougher sentencing in D.C. Not across the board. They're not shedding their support for Soros DAs. They're not shedding their support for the broader deincarceration movement. But what's amazing is, think back to Judges 6. What if you can't move anywhere without potentially being beaten up? So what's happening now is, and you heard this case with a staffer for Rand Paul, and, and Rand, I love him on a lot of issues, but he's very, you know, he's a big libertarian, very passionate about deincarceration. 
And they sold us this bill of goods that, oh, you know, prisons are full of people that, you know, don't belong there. And it's not true, except for the political persecutions. Generally, it's full of people who plead down. They're violent criminals. They're repeat offenders. But most of those wind up getting out too early, not getting enough. You know, everything's pled down. So the whole velocity of of um, criminal points that stacks up in the record is too slow. And they wind up doing so many bad things before we could finally lock them up permanently. And often we don't, even then. So you have that Rand Paul staffer who was um, stabbed pretty seriously. Uh, News is coming out. It does appear that he will make a recovery. But he was stabbed in the head and neck. It's pretty bad. Um, And it piggybacks off of um, Democrat Representative Angie Craig, who was punched in her own apartment building, the elevator going up. Someone was in the elevator and I think she threw coffee at him and and ran away and and locked her door and called the cops. But she's like out there. We, what is going on? Cause that guy was a repeat violent offender who was let. Why are these people not being locked up? Why do they serve 15 days after repeat violent offenses? And I'm like, dude, welcome to my world. For 10 years, I was the lone voice in the conservative movement. I was, I mean, I don't like to brag, but on this issue, I could tell you, I was the movement. I wrote endless columns like you see on Medical Freedom. I was doing that on crime, and I was trying to show people, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And now it's an amazing observation. Because it's a big problem. It's known. It's not just like it used to be... You could walk around that area, but you go a little bit farther out, you get the DC Metro, you know, cesspool crime problems. Now it's right there. And in broad daylight, too. It, it, it's an interesting thing. It's the only scenario where the members of the elite have to live among the people or live among the laws and the damage and carnage they create. Typically, they're isolated from in many ways. And in their home areas, they, you know, you're not going to find a congressman, Republican or Democrat, live in the hood. All right. You're just not going to, you know, like we're a white working class area that's close to the hood or the hood comes in. Uh, You're not going to find that. But here, it's an interesting thing. They have to live in D.C., or at least while they're serving during the week. Where are you going to go? Crime is so out of control, they lost control of their own neighborhood. By the way, it's also an interesting thing with Capitol Hill police locking up people for doing nothing. You have, you have uh, the uh, Representative Angie Craig's attacker attacked Capitol Hill police, by the way. And it was totally fine. So the story with that dude is... Um, where is that dude? This was from last month. Kindred Hamlin, he accrued 12 prior assault charges over the past decade, including against police officers. Um, just two weeks before attacking her, he was arrested and pled guilty to spitting blood at several Capitol police officers, kicking one in the groin and biting another. I mean, I don't think any January 6th is, uh, guy is... Um, accused of biting or kicking someone in the groin. Yet, I don't know if he spent a day in jail or zero, but what we do know, 
because the DC criminal records are horrible. It's so hard to look up. Um, but what we do know is that he was out two weeks later to attack this congresswoman. But that incident from two weeks prior itself was only several weeks after Hamlin was accused of stealing items from Capitol Hill supermarket. Each time he served little or no time. Again, that's the anarcho-tyranny. Contrast that to Capitol Hill opening up fusion centers across the country, spying on political enemies, yet they can't control their own neighborhood and their own people who are, who are attacking them. Now, now you have Rand Paul's dude, or the staffer, the guy who attacked the staffer. This guy, Glenn Neal, so it turns out he has a massive criminal history. He was convicted in 2011 um, of ba- basically like grabbing two women and procuring them and compelling them to live a life of a prostitute and um, you know threatening to kill them if they left. So he did a serious crime. And, and and he had, I mean, a massive history of 14 arrests for burglary, one for illegal uh, gun possession, two for assault on police, two for auto theft, one for drugs prior to that. So it's built off of that. This is not first time, that whole thing. 12 years. Now, it was a, it, it's not a federal charge. It's a D.C. municipality charge. But the rule is anyone who um, is convicted for more than a year sentence on a D.C. code, penal code, they serve in the Bureau of Federal Prison, but they, they serve in federal prison. So he served in pr- federal prison. He was sentenced to 12 years and four months. He should have been in prison the date Rand Paul's staffer was attacked. He was not. He was out at least a year or two early, could be even more. We don't, I, I haven't been able to see, the records are so horrible, um, how far back it goes when he was released. But what we do know is he was hit up September 2021 on a parole violation, yet Chicago Federal Magistrate in February of last year, almost a year ago, or a little more than a year ago, dismissed it. But then it could be maybe the D.C., maybe the marshals brought him to D.C. and hit him up on it. But whatever it was, he served no more than a year. I mean, he should have been put away for life after that. And he was let out a day before the attack. The attack was Saturday. He was let out on Friday from federal prison. Now, I can't say for sure this was the First Step Act, but it likely was. Because if you look up, I um, verified it, you look up the D.C. Uh, policy, they they interpret the First Step Act that, so it's only for federal, it's not for state. So D.C. is kind of like its own state, but but they, but because you serve time in federal prison, they view it that D, those who are in there for D.C. criminal code violations are eligible for the First Step Act for good time credits. So it could have been there was another way they were able to get him good time credits without that. Maybe. I don't know. So I can't say for sure. But there was a strong likelihood that because of Trump's bill is why this guy was out. 
But my broader point is the policies don't change just enough for their own personal sensitivities. It's amazing. And again, I really, I really don't want to say this. I really don't because I really like Rand Paul as a person and, and a lot on policy. But, but you know, like, look, Rand is this very libertarian, like, oh, that's a federal, you know, overreach. And I agree with a lot of it, but you can't let out violent criminals. Um, And it was all built on the lie that somehow we have this over-incarceration problem when really we have a gross under-incarceration problem because the culture is so messed up. And this is the second time that he's been bit by the policies he supported. Um, this is his staff. For the first time was that guy that attacked him. Um, his neighbor um, tackled him when he was on a lawnmower and he you know, had a punctured lung or something. It really was very, very injured from it. And the guy got like less than 30 days from it and he was outraged. And I was kind of like trying to gently say, well, Rand, we, we, we tried to tell you this. <laughs> you know, um, that that's the system. I mean... You know, it, it, the, the reality is, and, it, and again, I've said this before, but I'll just shoot you a couple of things, a couple of statistics. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, the combined state and federal prison incarceration rate has shrunk by 28% since 2010. We now have, um, relative to the U.S. population, uh, cor the correctional system, the population in the correctional system – meaning combined federal and state, is lower than at any time since 1992, and that perfectly coincides with the rise in crime. Um, the number of people um, sentenced to more than a year in prison, okay, so it's a measure, a year in prison, state or federal, decreased from basically 1.37 million to 1.18 million from in just one year, from 2019 to 2020, and I, would, I don't have the latest numbers. I'm sure it's much lower by now. Um, state and federal correctional authorities held 352 persons aged 17 or younger at year's end in 2020. Um, so that a 46% decline just from 2019 in juvenile holding. I mean, a big part of what we're seeing, not this guy with the Paul staffer, but in general is the juvenile um, crime. And and that's that's the thing. Um I could go on, and and I, I just I, I think I have newer data, but it's pretty much the same every year. But I have the FBI data from 2019. Just 61 percent of the 14,325 homicides were actually cleared, cleared cases. Just 32 percent of the 125,000 rapes, just 30 percent of the 240,000 armed robberies, just 52 percent of the 726,000 aggravated assaults. So <clears throat> I'm just looking at the top four violent criminal categories. What does that mean? Cleared. Cleared case means that the that the FBI or, or, or what not FBI necessarily, but law enforcement solved it. Doesn't even mean the guy served prison time, much less prison time commensurate with the crime he committed. But that means that 5,529 murder cases, 83,752 rape cases, 166,000 armed robbery cases, and 346,000 aggravated assault cases resulted in no arrest. Okay? That alone, if you merely just caught the guy, we don't catch the people, and then out of them that plead down to nothing, plead down to you know barely anything commensurate with what they did. 
and then even among the ones incarcerated. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, among those released from prison in 2018, and remember, these trends are still getting worse. On average, they only served 44% of their sentences. Even for murder, it was only 58% of the sentence. The median length of time served for murder was less than 10 years in 30% of murder cases and was more than 20 years in only 42%. So meaning almost 60% of those hit with murder served less than 20 years. The median time served for rape was less than 10 years in 64% of prisoners. In total, 71% of those serving time for any violent crime category served less than five years, and nearly half served less than two years. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. Again, they lied and said, oh, it's a bunch of um, just nothing. But the problem is what they realize is you can't trim any fat off of that incarceration rate because, no, they're all repeat violent offenders, and a lot of them that are aren't in prison. Meaning, meaning the point is, and I've said this before, you could abolish all drug charges, including drug, drug trafficking, and all even firearms charges, which is really, I mean, a lot of violent gangbangers. And just on those four categories alone, if you actually caught everyone who committed aggravated assault, armed robbery, rape, and murder, and you judge them commensurate with what we would all believe should be, you know, within reason, the sentence, the population of the prisons would swell on that alone. This was always a big, big lie. But again, it's just fascinating, fascinating how somehow, suddenly, there's an interest. Oh my gosh, we got to do something. When they feel the pain, which is why broadly, I think this is a microcosm of not just the politicians, but the people too. The people need to see, feel the pain. If they can't see the light, they need to feel the pain. And that's my goal. And we need to propose policies that make make people feel the pain and shield them from this fake thing, like this whole PPP program, we're going to have a bailout for a lockdown. No, if you're going to have a lockdown, I want people to feel the pain. If you're going to spend money and grow government and want these programs, I want people to feel the pain and raise the hell out of taxes. Stop with this printing business. But that's the problem with America nowadays. Things are horrible, and we all know in the abstract, and you speak to any you know core Republican primary voter, they'll tell you that. But, but deep inside in their lives, in the recesses of their hearts, they're making their lives work enough that they're not willing to focus properly and do what, what, it, what, what it takes. And that's the people. So the so-called Republican and even conservative politicians are really just a reflection of that. Sadly... Things haven't gotten bad enough. Alrighty, so before we run out of time, I want to pick up the pace a little bit and just do a little bit of a lightning round, not to get too deep into any one issue, but to do a bunch of things. So continuing on this theme, uh, you know, at the same time that they screwed us on crime for so many years, let out all the criminals, but in certain circumstances, people are, as we well see, uh, zealously over-prosecuted. So a while back, I just want to follow up with you some good news. We had on a couple months ago, or really a while ago, maybe last summer, 
the wife of Ben Darby, Officer Ben Darby, who's a Huntsville, Alabama police officer, that uh, came to a house, someone had a gun, and he told him to drop it, drop it, and it looked like he was flinching. He made a you know split-second decision, shot him, and he was charged with, he was convicted of murder, I believe 25 years in prison, and we, we talked about how there was just, you know, even even if it was a mistake, it wouldn't have been criminal um, in the worst-case scenario, and certainly not 25 years, uh, kind of this anarcho-tyranny thing. He got an appeal. He they, they did reverse it. The criminal court in Alabama, the appeals court, all five judges unanimously overturned it. My understanding is, for whatever reason, he's still not out of jail. Um, now it's in the attorney general's hands, Steve Marshall, whether to you know, have a new trial because uh, it was an unfair trial. Um, so he's not out of legal jeopardy, but, you know, hopefully the AG will do the right thing. And if you are living in Alabama, please call his office to encourage him to say, wait a minute, there's no reason for this. He spent, I think, almost two years in prison and, and the most violent prison, and they did not put him in a separate prison given that he was a cop and it's it ain't pleasant. Um, terrible, terrible injustice. And and that's the interesting thing. That's part of the anarcho-tyranny. The ACLU, that crowd, they're never there when someone legitimately is being you know roughed up by the criminal justice system and, and targeted and prosecuted unjustly, but we already knew that. Um, another interesting point on immigration. Immigration is another area where there's broad consensus. We have an invasion, the border, the cartels, the fentanyl. It's funny. I talked about that all last decade with the fentanyl, and now suddenly it's a big talking point. But again, Republicans can't even pass a border bill, and a border bill, as you well know, is a joke because you can't force an administration that doesn't want to to affirmatively do thou shall be border security. Um, it's 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 a joke. It's it's the legal system. It's the magnets. It's the bennies that we offer them. You know, you cut them off. You don't have a problem. You have them. Whatever assets you put out of there, it's not going to change the game. Um, but because of Tony Gonzalez publicly fighting with Chip Roy, we can't even get a border bill. And again, that is another gratuitous, needless Trump endorsement in a primary that were saddled with another open borders globalist pro-gay marriage rhino because of him. But of course, he'll never be held accountable for that. Um, but again, why is DeSantis, um, he's the only one, they have a, a bill they're about to pass out that's going to have a whole bunch of interior enforcement, full mandatory verify, um, but with a lot of enforcement mechanisms. There are a few other states that technically do have e-verify. It, they essentially don't enforce it. So, again, why is there no clamor? Everyone's like, oh, the border, the border, the border. Every red state government could be doing stuff. And I think in that vein, I just want to go through some updates and some of the bills we were following. Because, again, unlike the people I'm talking about, we are about outcomes, outcomes. Uh, it's very surprising news, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm missing, um, but I'll take it. Arkansas SB7 and SB8. This is Rep uh, Senator Brian King in Arkansas. Um, this is the bill that will impose criminal liability for manslaughter for executives of pharma companies that are caught lying about or you know failing to share information about 
side effects of vaccines in SB8 or other therapeutics like opioids in SB7, there are parallel bills. And if someone dies, let's say someone dies from myocarditis, and you're, uh, uh, um, and there is a specific person they're targeting, I believe, you're a pharma executive, let's say a Pfizer guy in, in Arkansas, and we find that you withheld information on that, you could be held liable, not, not just for like fraud, but for that individual's death, just like some states were trying to do with, you know, if you traffic fentanyl, it's not just a, dr- a drug charge, but it's a manslaughter charge if person A uh, took that fentanyl that you trafficked and died from it. So similar concept, the PrEP Act absolves them of, of civil liability, but there's nothing stopping a state from putting on them criminal li- liability. To be clear, it is not a replacement because it is very, very hard to pin this on someone, um, it's very limited and practical application, I must say. But it's something, and it, and it is important. If all the states start making this statement, we will hold you criminally liable, especially as we head forward. And they openly and brazenly just just engage in in experimentation. It's going to make it easier for us to hit them on this. It passed the Senate unanimously, maybe with like one present vote or something. So I don't know what the – I'm a little bit surprised. Um, I was told Pharma is going to fight it in the House, but sometimes you get a surprise win. So, again, if you're on Arkansas, SB7, SB8, make sure your House member is in support. Um, next bill, North Dakota, HB 1111. That is the one to bar the implementation of all international health regulations like the WHO, uh, pandemic treaty type of thing within North Dakota. It, it has passed the House, it passed the Senate committee, but it is facing some headwinds on the Senate floor. So, I mean, that should be a no-brainer there if you're in North Dakota. Um, some terrible news. Um, unbelievable. See, it's, it's weird. Sometimes the stars align on a really hardcore bill, and sometimes a basic no-brainer bill we can't even get anywhere. Alabama. Um, there was this HB 101 in Alabama, I forgot what the underlying bill deals with, but uh, Representative Yarbrough had an amendment last week to simply just say that you cannot have a vaccine mandate as a precondition for adoption and foster care. That you're going to tell someone you can't adopt a kid, you can't be a foster parent because you don't have the shot. Um, I mean, th- this should be, again, if anything, if you have the shot the science would show that you're a a danger to the kid because you're going to shed. And for sure, if you're a kid living in the home being hugged constantly by a parent, we already have three studies showing that it does transfer. Potentially, that is a problem. Um, Simple thing, but despite super majorities in in Alabama, the House overwhelmingly voted to table the amendment. So, yeah, I mean, this is the lack of a movement, the lack of focus. Um, Yeah, I mean, this this is where we are. It's it's truly terrible. And and I must say, there's a lot of important bills in Texas. We started out talking about Texas. Um, Senator Bob Hall is a national treasure. I have not seen anyone like him that is just a one-man machine for medical freedom. The guy's like 80 years old, and he is like, you know, on top of everything. He is coming out with a press release today on the Dr. Henson situation. He is fighting the Texas Medical Board, and he has some bills going after them. Um, 
This is uh, as of from the center square, so it's a, a week old, and some of them might have progressed, but a bunch of bills have wound through the T- Texas Senate Health and Human Services Committee. Um, there's SB 301, which ensures that the medical board can't go after people for prescribing um, uh, hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. It would also prohibit pharmacists from refusing prescriptions and provide immunity from civil liability to healthcare providers and pharmacies who do prescribe. Um, SB 299, if you want to take notes, the physician's right to treat. This makes it clear that a hospital cannot refuse a patient's request to bring in a licensed physician, even if they're not associated with the hospital, to administer treatment. Um, SB 1583 would prohibit all education institutions or entities in Texas that receive public funding from conducting gain-of-function research. Um it would require all organizations in Texas conducting such research to report it to the state. I mean, again, this should be a no-brainer. One after another, he's going down our list. Um, and then the chairwoman, Culkhurst, has a couple of bills. SB 1024 prohibits um, all vaccine and mass mandates, um, would prohibit elementary or secondary schools and private or independent higher education institutions from requiring a student get the COVID shot. Um Let's see what else we got there. We have Senator Mays Middleton, SB 177, would require informed consent prior to being given the vaccine. Um, that's that's kind of a nothing burger one. SB 403 would require the Texas Department of Health and Human Services to conduct a study on the side effects. We have SB 426 would prohibit state interference with patient access to off-label prescription drugs. So the state can, you know, again, a little bit of parallel to Bob Hall's bill. I'm not sure the difference, but there's a lot winding through there. So, um, you know, if you want to replay the last five minutes on on half speed (laughs) to write that down, if you're from Texas, go and call your... um, Call the Texas Medical Board for and, and make them hear from you about Henson. You could just Google the members and you can see their numbers. And also call Dan Patrick's office. Dan Patrick is the Senate you know, leader as the lieutenant governor. He is the most important person. And I would also just say, if you are anywhere near kind of the Tyler, Texas area, and you are looking for an ear, nose, throat doctor, um, you know, please, please look up. Uh, Lone Star ENT, Dr. Eric Henson, he needs your help. I mean, this is the thing. We always demand, oh, what are you? Are you a man or a mouse? Oh, uh-huh, you go in and comply. Going, Yeah, and then the few people who don't are mowed down. And do we have their back? Um, and, 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 you know, and this is not a knock on a lot of the big names we've had on the show. I, 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 this, don't, it's more just to understand Henson's situation a lot of other guys, they wound up being better off than they were before because they became a big name. They started a Substack. They started a. They became a political commentator. They've they've become national household names, and and that's fine. I'm glad it worked out for them in that sense. You know, taking a stand, and they became you know a leader. But Henson is a quiet. He never. He didn't become a celebrity. He quietly just treated it and treated it and treated it and treated. It. Um. So he has no anything there's no basis of support no backing and and he does need your help um syria syria 
this was last week. I didn't cover it. Um, one American contract injured contractor injured and uh, um, five U.S. troops or killed and one five five U.S. troops uh, injured in a, in a mortar attack. Um, this is unbelievable. Again, everyone knows that there's nothing to do there, but the policy doesn't change. General Milley just said there's a thousand troops in Syria. Why? There was a resolution to bring home our troops from Syria a couple weeks ago. Just 47 House Republicans voted for it, fewer than the number of Democrats who voted for it. And by the way, again, General Milley is Trump's guy. He is, General Milley is like, literally like, if, if you picture putting Mark Zuckerberg in charge of the military, Joint Chiefs of Staff, that, that's, that's what he is. Just an utter gutter snipe, woke, weaponized, Fourth Reich, transgender animal. Destroyed our military. He was such, he was so effective for the left that Biden held him over. People forget, it's not Biden pick. That was Trump's pick. I think it was the Army Chief of Staff, I'm forgetting what he was, and he elevated him. He elevated him. And again, I just want to say on the Syria thing, my, my view is Trump's, you know, outside of a few issues, he's horrible on domestic policy, but he was much better on foreign policy. But the problem is even on foreign policy, you, you see his weakness. Genuinely, I know Trump didn't want to keep our troops in Syria. Genuinely, I know he didn't want to keep them in Afghanistan. But what happened? The generals came and said, you better not do it. And he, and he, and he said so. He's like, oh, look, what am I going to do? This is the problem. He's scared. He's scared. He's fearful of it. We'll talk a little bit more about this tomorrow, broadly, on COVID and other issues with Trump. This is the problem. He's very brave standing in front of a crowd on a campaign trail, you know, saying all sorts of things, but he's scared to govern effectively. And again, it requires courage. It requires smarts and understanding of the policy. See, if I don't know the policy, you have to understand for everything we see on every issue, every major guy in policy in government is going to have an answer for everything I'm saying. No, it's not true. It's not true. So if you're not smart to discern that, you'll be taken in by that. So even on the issues where Trump's intuition was good, he often let us down. And that's how you had the terrible pullout from Biden because it wasn't done properly when it should have been done under Trump as he promised. So there's that. I'm trying to see. We don't have much time left here. Um... We might have to save this for tomorrow, but a lot of you might have seen Tucker talked about this bill um, from, who is it, uh, Rubio and, and Romney. It's basically the Patriot Act for the Internet, banning TikTok, but, but really opening the door to ban all sorts of, um, not just TikTok, but the ability to go after anyone they deem as a national security risk, at which point they can access everything on their computer, um, everything they do. It and, and and again, it's not just TikTok. It's important to recognize that. Uh, it's it's so much more. It's called the Restrict Act, Senate Bill six eighty six S six eighty six. 
Uh, it gives the government authority over all forms of communication, domestic or abroad, and grants powers to enforce any mitigation measure to address the risk to national security of any, quote, potential future transaction. So this is emblematic of what's going on. The government monopolizes the public square space. And then they're like, China, China, China. We got to watch out that we don't neocon 9-11 Patriot Act China. Do what we, For years, we were like, no, it's not the Middle East. China's the problem. So now the, the neocons are like, all right, you're right. China's the problem. China's not really the problem. The problem is our own government. I hate TikTok. I think it's transhumanism. It's created an entire generation of retards. And it, it's horrible for a number of reasons. But let's face it. From the espionage standpoint, it's not just TikTok. It's all the apps in the store. And it's because of our government is a client state of China. This is why I don't give a darn about foreign policy at this point. It's not that there's nothing that could threaten us. It's that anything that does threaten us, it's because of our government. It's emblematic of our government being more tyrannical than China at a domestic policy level. So at a foreign policy level, they weaken our nation and make us vulnerable to, you know, Iran, North Korea, Islamic terror, China, or whatever. But it's due to our government. Our government is a bigger problem. So you got to watch out all these, like, anti-China measures that give the government more surveillance power over our people, you can't fight China by becoming like China. And that's that's what it is. And our government is a bigger threat to us than China. If you ever ask me, Daniel, what's the biggest foreign policy threat? Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, Al-Qaeda. It's the United States federal government. It's a very scary thought, but that's the reality. So I don't want to hear about foreign policy until we somehow fix this or have a national divorce. You can only prosecute foreign policy if your own government is a force for good. And this is what a lot of the baby boomer era conservative commentators don't understand. They can't wrap their arms around that. Your, your, your view on foreign policy has to change with the understanding that our government is the biggest problem of all. Yeah, I'd love to fight China. But do you really think that if you give our government this power, their primary target will be China? I think after yesterday's show with Brad Geyer, a January 6th attorney who worked in the Justice Department for 21 years on a lot of these sorts of issues, I think you'll understand that we know exactly what their sole priority will be. It's not just like, it might happen one day. That's the main purpose of this. But again, you have these like Marco Rubio types that just fall right into it. It's ridiculous. It's emblematic of we're up against that Republicans are now, oh, China, China, China. No, it's if you don't have a way of dealing with the weaponization of our government, any more authority you grant them will be used against us. So again, folks, we got to focus on outcomes. In order to focus on outcomes, you have to care about it enough. In order to care about what's right, you really need to return to God. And that's just the way it is. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.